Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events, and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast, the latest in our weekly series. Um, Today, what we're going to do is start off just touching a little bit on the coronavirus, uh, what this looks like with COVID-19. Of course, probably there are two big news areas to cover um, and and have been over the last few weeks. And one is just the variants and that, uh, you know, we've discussed this before, but the idea that the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus itself continues to, as as a virus will do, or any of us will do, will adapt. Um, uh, as it as it replicates and grows and spreads, there are errors in that replication, and that can result in mutations. Sometimes that's going to uh, better enable the virus to spread and and maybe even make it more virulent or uh, create more serious disease for those that it infects. Um, and my understanding too is we're dealing right now still with a with a virus that's a bat virus, and it's still sort of evolving and adapting to a human host. And so that's making it even more interesting and maybe less predictable um, as it tries to adapt to, again, a human host. Um, and we're in that uh, infection chain, that spread. Uh, it it, it uh, has to get into a human, uh, in this case, uh, as well as bats. And then uh, we have to be a good host and then sp- and even better for the virus. Um, get close to somebody else and infect them. And then we have that chain, that viral chain. And of course, that's why we continually talk about ways to break the viral chain, to break the spread. And again, we don't always know because such a large percentage of infected humans um, just don't exhibit any type of, um, of symptoms. And so they may not think, we may not think we're sick or just it's something like an allergy or a minor cold. And in fact, we're infected uh, with the, this particular coronavirus. So uh, having said that, what we're trying to do is better understand the spread um, and look at what's going on in South Africa, Brazil, and the UK, where we understand there have been some system, systematic uh, variations going on. And then particularly in, in Brazil, a unique situation where they're now reporting people have been infected with maybe two types of variants, at least, and they have a co-infection. And and so again, the scientists are telling us based on all the research from this virus and others that the more people, in this case humans, that are infected, the more of us that are infected, the more transmission, the more replication takes place, the more likely that there are to be errors in the replications and therefore mutations. And so um, that's what happens. That's why the race to break, to stop the viral spread, as well as the race to get us vaccinated. Um, as before these viruses can mutate to the point where the strains are not affected by the vaccines or by, or they escape even from our uh, natural immune systems, both the innate and adaptive. So that's, that's kind of the logic model behind everything that's going on right now. Um, so in Brazil, the fact that there are dual infections can double uh, 
the load and demand on the normal uh, immune system that we've all got. And number two, um, the idea of one or more of these vaccines having an effect. So stay tuned on that. South Africa, we know there are more than one uh, types of strains circulating there that are particularly, uh, uh, they, they produce a spread, but they also seem to be less uh, affected by natural immune systems that we have so far built up as well as by the vaccines. And so we see these vaccines that look, you know, 60, 80, 90% effective with the initial um, virus that we were dealing with are now maybe only less than 50% or even less than that in some cases. And so I understand that South Africa is putting on hold the AstraZeneca as they try and figure out, is that even effective enough to administer to their population? And so you know, we can see why this is um, the science is critical here in trying to get these things right. Uh, in the United States, the we see that the that these variants, these strains, are starting to spread, particularly the UK, the UK version, which doesn't appear to try, it doesn't appear to escape or be particularly resistant to the vaccines that we're administering, but rather is just much, much more transmissible. And so again, we've got more of us getting infected more rapidly. Um, more easily. And so you're seeing more adaptation, more people that do get the serious disease and maybe even fatal. That's what's going on, especially in the UK. And now it's in um, about a third or more of the United States in our states. So another reason to, again, break the chain, stay distant, mask, and uh, and wash our hands. So um, moving on, Pfizer now has um, looks like their manufacturing capability, they should be able to deliver in the United States alone uh, about 200 million doses by May, uh, moving that up from the earlier July-August timeframe. That's really good news. Um, Moderna seems to be on track. The J&J is now submitted, of course, uh, last Friday. Um, their emergency use authorization uh, filing with the uh, FDA and also that that data have been put up and posted publicly as well as provided to the independent uh, panel of experts to all evaluate. So you're going to see 24-7 evaluation of data by the FDA, my understanding, also CDC scientists, different other independent researchers, and then finally the independent panel. So you're going to have a lot of eyes on the data um, that the results to go through it and pour through at least 200 pages of data um, in addition to throughout the course of the research, the development, the trials, um, they had similar visibility to researchers. So stay tuned on the J&J. And of course, we've all heard by now that the right now it's designed as a single dose and only needs normal refrigeration. Both seem to make it um, a vaccine that while not quite as efficacious according to initial data, um, but bear in mind, by the way, uh, their research started later. So it's been conducted on the new, some of the new variants whereas maybe the earlier wasn't, um, but could prove out to be a little bit more effective um, as far as actually getting people vaccinated and particularly in rural areas because of the need for only one dose. They are also understanding, I understand they're conducting uh, a second dose trial as well. And by the way, on the strains, uh, Moderna and others are already in trials and looking at research as far as adapting the vaccines that are already an emergency or otherwise approved out there uh, to handle the new variants that are coming out. So, you know, stay tuned on that part. AstraZeneca, they made the decision in the UK to possibly delay the second dose, particularly with AstraZeneca. I've uh, been doing a lot of research around that, trying to get more people uh, vaccinated with the first dose, knowing that that's going to confer 
a significant amount of um, immunity. Um, and then we'll get the second dose to you as soon as possible, but it may not be the recommended normal two, three weeks or so, but may go four or five or even more weeks. Well, the initial data coming in, and this seems to match up with what a lot of the virologists thought, that the extension actually can be even more powerful, and so it may not be detrimental. So that's good news too, and something, of course, in the United States, the FDA and CDC and others are looking at um, how, what's the best pacing and timing. Sometimes the, the longer between those one and two sometimes can confer even more immunity. So um, we'll take a look at that and report on that. Um, the United States right now looks like about 44 million Americans um, above the age of 16 have been vaccinated. Uh, we're still in, we, we know there's phase one, A, B, and C, and then phase two, phase two is everybody. Um, so as they progress through in all states, those most exposed, those most vulnerable, um, and then they'll go to those that are most uh, guilty of transmitting the disease. Uh, worldwide, over 140 million people have been vaccinated with at least the first dose. So good news there. Uh, vaccines, all vaccines total now in clinical trials, 35 in phase one, which are safety and dosing trials, phase two, which are enhanced in much larger trials. Um, and then phase three, there are, excuse me, two, 26 in phase two and 20 in phase three. Six now have emergency use authorization and four are finally approved. The Russian, uh, the Russians have different vaccines and trialing, but the Sputnik V, which they declared was already effective before it even gone through phase two trials. Now the phase three trial is, uh, I understand, completed. Um, the data are coming out and being published in the Lancet uh, peer-reviewed journal, but it looks to be actually 92% efficacious. So uh, that's going to be particularly useful in a lot of countries around the world um, and getting more and more um, very, very effective vaccines out there and above. Anything above 50%, according to the experts, is something that's pretty powerful. Um, so stay tuned there. Therapies about 238 antivirals in trials, 383 other treatments in trials. Uh, just close to 100 therapies are in phase three trials, uh, and they just range again from antibodies to anticoagulants to anti-inflammatories um, and so forth. Um, we'll switch over now and uh, talk a little bit about some of the research we're doing here at LPRC in the crime area. Um, my main focus is on this uh, concept of durable deterrence. How do we best affect an individual that's considering uh, offending, uh, victimizing an individual or a place? Um, how do we better uh, convince them not to start or to progress? How can we make their, their perception of a downside risk there uh, last longer? And it's the same kind of concept we see again with um, what's going on with viral immunity. Um, what's a more durable immunity response, immune response compared to the short-term response or a combination of both. So uh, looking at the erosion of consequence and how we can collectively work on that, it's been a discussion with our members last week, or um, the week before last, we had the LPRC kickoff. We've mentioned before, we had well over 300 executives on there interacting with some amazing panelists. <clears throat> We've been planning our upcoming Ignite, which will include um, uh, a one hour or two hour um, strategy at Ignite session where we're doing some planning around durable deterrence and erosion of consequence uh, and, and uh, those types of topics to talk at a little more strategic level, but the strategy should lead to action. And so we want to fill in the blanks there and come up with our action plan. We're really excited about it. Um, a lot of planning going on for the LPRC supply chain protection working group 
um, and working in conjunction with ISCPO on a summit. Um, uh, we'll bring out more information as that's becoming available. Um, Kenna and the research team working on extending the risk mapping. Um, we are in conversation right now with Cap Index on working with them on some things. Um, Product Protection Summit, the starting to do some planning there. Uh, curbside, um, looking at better ways on smart lighting configuration. That type of research is underway. Our SOC lab, how to improve security operations centers or EOCs or command centers. Um, we've now held calls with two major chains as we plan out that research and we have six more of those planned right now. Safer Places Lab, planning goes continues there. We're working on building infrastructure. Uh, I'll show, share more details as they become more certain. Um, a call out to everybody that's an LPRC member or otherwise uh, for a video library. We're looking for video footage of activity in stores and elsewhere. Um, we're also looking at um, Operation Next Level, working with Lighthouse Consultants. Um, the idea is to bring on top quality retailer and solution partner members to continue to grow the LPRC community. Um, right now, it's a, we're in line to add six new members, which is exciting um, in the month of February. And there's a potential to add many, many more. We're, we're talking to probably over 50 other uh, organizations, exciting organizations um, about joining. Um, and then additionally, uh, up in Canada, uh, talking to some major companies there. And then finally, uh, it's early days, and we'll talk about this later with Tony D'Onofrio in another upcoming episode. But what we're talking about as far as LPRC expansion uh, outside the United States. So with no further ado, I want to thank everybody. And I'm going to go over to uh, my colleague, Tom Meehan. Tom, take it away, please. Well, thanks, Reed. And uh, a couple updates here on things that we've talked about in the past and a couple new things. I'll kind of start off with, and mainly because... Uh, for those of you that listen regularly or participate in the fusion net, I'll start with a social media topic and um, you know, open source intelligence and social media gathering or monitoring today has really changed the way uh, security professionals review things. And there's a, a new app out called Clubhouse, which is an audio only app. And this is kind of uh, it's in its infancy. And um, I, I think Tony and I are on it. Um, it is an invite only. It's a it's kind of um, a very popular app today. But there's been a couple of alerts that have come out around scams around Clubhouse and it being a new app. Um, one being that uh, folks are recording these audio conversations and to give a little context, Clubhouse's platform allows a group of individuals, whether they know, uh, know each other or not, to get into a room, which is called a club and have an open audio conversation in it's live. There is some moderator controls in the sense of who you can let speak or not, but it's an open live platform. And there are two concerns that have been posed by security experts. I've been on the app several times, um, participated in different groups. One is that when you are in, 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 in these apps, the audio automatically unmutes. So if you're entered into a club and you are by a moderator bought in to speak, your audio starts and it's unmuted. So there have been instances where people have been in business settings and private confidential information has been inadvertently shared. Additionally, there is um, quite a bit of recording going on. Um, it is public and uh, while I think we always talk about what you share in social media lives forever in this particular app, there's audio, so there's audio being uh, shared. And then additionally, um, this is really what the main alert comes through is there are a lot of folks posing as celebrities 
um, whether it be in the movie industry or high level executives to get, you know, to get information or money from someone. Uh, so for instance, someone poses a high level executive, one of the examples that was given, and I actually heard something very similar to this is they need an executive assistant. All they need is your information to fill out the tax paperwork and we'll hire you. And clearly what that does is that gives private information. That's one of the, the things that are occurring. The other one is um, asking for a fee um, to, to get looked at for a celebrity piece. So main, main purpose of talking about this is as social media platforms grow, there are, um, uh, there are things that occur regularly in the social media world and open up doors to this. So more to come on it. I mean, it is a very popular new app. I know there's uh, going to be more information that occurs because of it. Next, the next piece related to social media as well, and this is, well, it's not something I normally talk about. I think it just kind of plays the power of social media for anybody that's been following kind of some of the retail stocks, GameStop, uh, one of them, it was really driven by a Reddit um, group that uh, a consortium of individuals that purchased stocks. So this is just kind of a reminder of the power of social media and the power of these platforms and how quickly a group of individuals can actually write a narrative. So uh, as you continue to monitor social media and look at it, keep in mind that it, you know it's taking this industrial intelligence or corporate security intelligence approach where it isn't always about threat. Uh, it could be about, we, we talk about, could be about a weather event, but it also could be just about general business. So it's a different way of thinking about it. Um, and actually the one of the things I, I read yesterday, the day before, is that there is an ETF that's being launched that actually will track social media buzz like uh, Reddit. So the Wall Street has recognized the power. And we continue to remind everybody of the power of social media, both on the good and the bad side there. Um, so just one of those things to, to keep in mind. Another thing, and I, I think this comes up rather often, but it's starting to happen again with the resurgence of masks which is brushing scams. And what, what happens in a brushing scam is that an individual receives a package of goods. I think if you remember uh, throughout the spring and the summer, it was seeds being shipped and nuts from overseas. Now we're starting to see masks up here. Um, and there's a lot of news surrounding these scams. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission issued kind of an, an update this week again about what it is. Um, basically, what happens is you have an, a seller generally overseas that needs a tracking address. So they actually create a fake account, make a fake purchase, and then they need a, a legitimate tracking address to show to Amazon or eBay that they sent something. So they'll generally send a low cost item. Uh, and in this case, we're starting to see an influx of masks. Um, and there's, there is no real major cause for alarm, at least anecdotally today, to the masks of being any, any harm. What it is, is these are three-ply masks that there's an abundance of um, overseas, and they are, just need those addresses. It's not advisable to eat or use any of these things. Most of the time, the advice is to destroy them. You're not liable for them, and it is a brushing scam. But if you get that package, you're not alone. Um, there are literally thousands coming out, uh, you know, happening a day. And sometimes if it's from Amazon, you can contact Amazon directly. They'll give you kind of direction, but almost always the direction is to dispose of, of the goods. This is um, actually significantly on the rise. And as I was looking at the reports, it's being reported in just about every state in the United States today um, where packages are being around. And I think the, the fact that there are masks kind of drew some alarming 
um, responses from folks where it was nuts and seeds before it was kind of a little bit more of a confusion than anything else. And then my last kind of a piece that I wanted to talk about today was really around COVID-19 vaccinations. And I do, you know, uh, I know that sometimes I'm repetitive with this, but in the last week, there's about 145,000 websites that were taken down um, that depict either um, selling the vaccinations or charging a fee to get higher on the list, if you will, um, to get your, you know, your vaccination. And these fees in some cases are really nominal. So when you think about someone asking for $5 for a processing fee, there are kind of two exposures. One is giving your personal information out, but then the other is that you're giving $5 and it's not hard math. If a thousand people do it, you know, these folks make um, money basically well sitting at home because these are websites that are unmanned. So stay vigilant, especially with the COVID-19 piece. Uh, to date, there's nobody selling vaccines legitimately for in-home use. There are, in fact, some tests that have been approved for in-home use. Great thing about the internet is um, you can just Google some of those tests to find out which ones are legitimate. There are state guidelines around home use tests. Certain states don't allow it yet, but they have. there are some that have been approved. So um, to date, I don't anticipate us seeing vaccinations online, but some therapeutics, maybe someday, not today, but testing, yes. And this is a question I get often is, how do you know what's legitimate or not? And it's kind of follow the trail of looking at the company and doing your best the same way I would recommend you shopping online. If it's a new store, you're going to do a little more research. If it's a, if it's somewhere you've never shopped before, you're going to do a little research. It's the same exact thing when you're getting COVID information. I think everybody's drinking from a fire hose because there's so much information that's been available. And unfortunately, scammers are taking advantage of it. Uh, without anything else, I'll turn it over to Tony. Thank you very much, uh, Tom. Great information. Also, you read. Uh, and actually, I just saw something in Italy where they were busting actually either fake vac vaccines or not approved vaccines. So it's happening all over the world, some of the trends that uh, you've described. So let me start this morning with the data dump by looking at Robin's report, top 20 retail wildcard trends for 2021. And I'm just going to give you the high level I actually publish all these during the week. So if you want to see the details, they're available through my social media feeds. But these are the, this is what they're seeing as happening in uh, 2021. So number one, sustainable fashion. Number two, um, rental retail goes mainstream. Number three, certified used retail. Number four, enthusiastic-based retail channels. Number five, buy now, pay later. Number six, voice e-commerce at home. Number seven, the fitness center. Number eight, FOMO or fear of missing out retail. Number nine, near eye augmented reality retail. Number 10, in-store fulfillment. Number 11, chick kitchens in the cloud. Number 12, rise of retail medical. Number 13, walkout shopping. 14, experience-centric retail, number 15, dynamic in-store pricing, uh, number 16, born-again brands online, number 17, OTT or over-the-top commerce, number 18, in-store signage, number 19, traceability, and number 20, crypto. So these are some of the, the things that you'll hear about in 2020. Uh, chain storage also has some interesting data that 
you know, we've been talking about how the the weaker brands have been impacted by COVID, but they actually found did some research that showed the volatility and disruptions of 2020 impacted high-performing retailers more than their peers. So this is from research that RSR did in North America, European Union, and UK, and they found that retail winners with compatible store channel sales growth above the industry average of 4.5% were more likely to report a lot of impact from a number of disruptions during 2020 than their average performing or lagging competitors. And the disruptions included COVID-19, changes in customer expectations, weather events, social unrest, and boycotts. So it's not only the weak retailers, the high-performing retail was really highly impacted also. From Steve Dennis and Forbes, here are their nine provocative retail predictions for 2021. The great acceleration moderates. Number two, physical retail still not dead. Number three, bifurcization 2.0 and the hollowing of the middle. Number four, the hybridization of retail takes the center stage. Five, grocery wars escalate. Six, work from whatever rewires retail real estate strategy. Seven, cheaper real estate creates new brick and mortar opportunities. Eight, Without a return to fun, we won't see luxury and fashion recovery. And number nine, pennies kicks the can down the road. And then finally, from uh, RIS News, these are the 10 retailers that ruled curbside and buy online pickup in stores in the United States. And number one by far was Target. And Target started deploying their model actually back in 2018. Well, before the pandemic, they added more services in 2019, including fresh foods. And their services as a result were robust in terms of re returns. So in November, December, they grew 193% those services. And in the third quarter, same day services grew 200% and they added more than a billion dollars of revenue to target. Walmart was number two. Again, they also, we're adding aggressively pre-pandemic, but they continued that trend. They now have 3,700 3, stores delivering curbside and buy online pickup services. And they've also have doubled the number of associates working in online pickup to 140,000. Walgreens was number three. They had over 1.7 million pickup orders completed in November and total uh, digitally were up 40%. Ulta Beauty was fourth. Uh, they introduced pickup actually during the pandemic, but put so much focus on it, and they did it so well that in, in Q3, BOPIS total about 16% of total e-commerce sales. So if you're late, make sure you do it exceptionally, and that's what Ulta Beauty did. Nordstrom was number five, became offering, into, again, way before the pandemic, 2008, and they fine-tuned and they went down a model of making everything available to be sold online, including making store inventory available to be sold online. Michaels was number six. E-commerce grew 128% in the third quarter, and a significant portion of that went to Bopis. Best Bend Beyond was number seven. They have 1.2 million orders at Bopis, and their met promoter scores. So consumers love these things, what, 80%. So consumers love these. 
other retailers mentioned were Kohl's, Kroger, and Dollar General. So what's the lessons from this morning's data dump uh, to you is number one, um, invest early ahead of the trends with focus on increasing convenience and saving consumers time. Number two, retail is not dead. It's one of the fastest changing industries and it accelerated faster the separation between the winners and the losers. Number three, consumers are in charge with the smartphone as the new engine of commerce. And number five, for part of this audience, theft patterns are changing as a result of how retail is changing and you need to get ahead of it now. And one of the best places to do is actually by listening to this podcast and joining and participating in the Loss Prevention Research Council. We track these trends, but more importantly, we impact them with crime prevention research. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Reed. All right. Thank you so much, Tony and Tom, our producer, Kevin Tran. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, please, at any time, uh, we look forward to your suggestions, comments, uh, ideas um, at uh, operations at lpresearch.org.org. Um, so on behalf of the team and LPRC at large, I want to thank you for tuning in to Crime Science Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more Crime Science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.